Having said that, I would like to go into the Word. Is that all right? So if you'd stand for the reading of the Word. What a good day to be alive. You say, why is this a good day? Because this is the day that the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. Hey, the world didn't make this day. It's trying to change the day, but it didn't create the day. God created the day. He separated night from day. If you turn to the book of Psalm, chapter 94, I'd like to read two verses. The book of Psalm, chapter 94, verse 17. And we have enjoyed the 20s being up with us. They have been a pleasure. You guys have been no, no trouble in my house. You've been a joy. We've enjoyed having you around, and, and I'm going to be sad that you're leaving. Although I'm sure that they're ready to get back to their normal life and maybe a boy and maybe a soon-to-be boy. The book of Psalm, chapter 94, verse 17. If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. I want to read that again, both verses. Verse 17. If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, it was your steadfast love, O oh Lord, that held me up. Can somebody say amen? amen. Bishop, will you pray? I'd like to speak on the title, The Land of Silence. Psalm 94, 17, it, it, it's so elegantly written. If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. The land of silence is the land of death. But it's not only the land of death, but it can be a land of spiritual death. It can be a land of emotional death, a land that is void of joy, that is void of excitement, void of happiness. It can be a condition or a state that we live in. But I, the scripture says, if the Lord had not been. So what he's saying is the Lord was the help. The Lord was there to deliver. The Lord was there to rescue. The Lord was there to bring out. And because of it, they live in a land that is not silent, but a land that is vocal. Meaning that there are words to say, God has been faithful. God has been good to me. God has been an on-time God. God has been a deliverer. God has been a rescuer. God has been a provider. God has been my shelter. He's been my rock, my fortress. 
God has been my miracle-working God. He's been my way-maker. But I think that there's some people here that you're on the, the verge, on the tipping point of living in a land of silence where there is no voice left within you that says you're faithful. Lord, you're good for tragedy or circumstance or a bad day or a bad situation has entered in, has crept in, and your heart is bleeding out, if you will, and your mind is giving up on God. But I have been sent by the Holy Ghost to tell you that even though your mind and your emotions and your feelings think that you're going to give up on God, that my God will not give up on you. For His feelings towards you are not one of giving up, are not one of letting go, are not one of turning around, but God's feelings towards you is one of rescue, is one of holding on to, is one of providing, is one of strengthening you, is picking you up, is making a brighter day. I want to teach a little bit about the Samaritans. And I want to go on a journey through the Bible about them. Before we do that, I want to describe to you and tell you, maybe you already know, the Samaritan people were a racially mixed group of people. You see, Jerusalem and the Israelites were conquered by the Assyrian Empire. And when the Assyrian Empire came in and they, they took many Jewish people captive and they carried them off to Babylon... And when they become captives at that point, they were the, the, the ideals and the methods of the Assyrian Empire was that when they conquered a nation, they would take prisoners of war and they would make them marry people of a different nation, of a different tribe, of a different clan, because it would then begin to mix their values and mix their loyalties. Because if they were of... Israel, and they married a Persian, then perhaps their wife of Persian descent would then cause them to become loyal to the Persian Empire and not just to the nation of Israel. So their thinking was, if we can infiltrate the marriage and the family unit, then they will be loyal to our nation too. And their children will not be Israelites, but they will be Babylonians, or they will be Persian, or they will be Assyrian, whatever empire during the time you wish to talk about. And so when they go home, they're not full-blood Jewish anymore. And so as people were being delivered from the Assyrian captivity... And returning home, the people, the Jews that were in Samaria, had mixed blood with the Assyrian Empire. And so when they returned home, they were mixed bloods, if you would. And so they were not pure Jewish. And so when the Jews went back under ne uh, Nehemiah to rebuild the wall, the sect of Jews that went to Samaria were treated differently. They were actually afforded more liberties and pleasures than Nehemiah's crew. And so they rose up against Nehemiah. And it was a string of bad blood that become between the Jews and the Samarians. That they were against one another. And the Jews always looked at the Samaritans because they weren't fully Jewish, that they were less of a, of a child of God than they were. But the... Samaritans still worshipped Yahweh. 
they set up their, their temple at a different mount than in Jerusalem. And that made the Jews mad. Made them mad. So they began to revolt against the Jewish empire because they had Assyrian blood in them. And so the Jews began to look down on the Samaritans and the Samaritans were outcasts to the Jews. I, wanted, I, I got a map. Is that ready to, to come up? I don't know how well you can see this. But the Jews that lived in Judea, that's the southern part of the map, when they wanted to travel and see their brothers in Galilee, they would cross to the east, the Jordan River. That's the dotted line, not the solid line. I can see it well. I don't know how well you can see it. So instead of traveling directly north, that's the solid line. That meant they would have to go through the land of Samaria. And they despised the Samaritans so much that they would not travel straight in the, in the faster route. Instead, they would travel east and cross the Jordan River. And then they would travel north. And then they would cut back over, back across the Jordan River into Galilee just to avoid having to walk in the land of Samaritans having to deal with a Samaritan person, having to bump into them, having to talk to them, they would go out of their way to not have to deal with them. That's how much they despised them and thought they were defiled. It's like family. You know, you can, you can really get mad at your friend or somebody you don't know. But if that person is a family member that level of madness goes up a couple notches. Half of you were honest there. There is nobody that can make you mad like family. And Samaritans were family. And because they didn't do everything by the book, you see, they still accepted the five books of the Bible. But because they decided to build their own temple mount and worship there, and because they didn't walk just like the everyday Jew and, and, and worship in the exact same manner as your common Israelite, they were outcasts because they were family that had turned their back on the way things should be done. Does everybody understand the relationship now? between a Samaritan and a Jewish person. They are family, and there's issues. And the Jews went out of their way to avoid them and made it very hard. And so the land of Samaria was becoming a land of silence because they were being silenced out of the Jewish lineage. They were being silenced out of the Jewish inheritance. They were being silenced out of the Jewish reading of the law and the teaching of the law. They were being ostracized from receiving what the priests of God would deliver. It was being silenced. But along comes a man, Jesus Christ. And he says, he says in, 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 to his disciples, he says, I have need that I must pass through Samaria. Imagine what that meant to them. Because these Jews didn't go into Samaria. His disciples and apostles, you didn't travel through Samaria. 
And all of a sudden, the man you're following says, we are going to journey through Samaria. Imagine what these devout Jews thought of this man. What do you mean we're going into a, a neighborhood we shouldn't be going into? What do you mean we're going to fellowship with a group of people we shouldn't be fellowshipping with? What do you mean that, that we're going to see people that we shouldn't be looking at? And God said, there's a need, and I've got to go into Samaria. When he goes into Samaria, he stops at Cyrene, and he tells his disciples... I want you to go down into the town and I want you to buy provisions for our journey. And he sees a well that's sitting there and he finds a nice little place to sit next to a well and lo and behold, here comes a Samaritan woman. The light bulb's going off. People are like, oh, I know this story. says to her, give me a drink. And she says, how is it that you, a Jew, would ask of me, a woman of Samaria, a drink? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. How is it that you're even here? Why have you come into our land? Because Jews go out of their way. You cross the Jordan River just to not see us. Just to not hear us. Just to not smell us. Just so you don't have to shake hands with us. And all of a sudden you come into our town. And how is it that a Jew is asking of me water? How is it that a Jew actually needs something from a Samaritan? Because this whole time, the Jews have acted like they're better than us. You haven't needed anything from your family. You haven't even invited us to family get-togethers. And now all of a sudden, you need something from me? How can this be? And you know, we preached about it a couple services ago, that God begins a discourse with her, and He begins a back and forth with her, and then she says, I'm waiting for the Messiah. Why is it that a Samaritan who's an outcast, who has nothing to do with Israel, is waiting for the Messiah? Because the Samaritans still served one God. They were monotheistic. They only worshipped Messiah or Yahweh and we're looking for the same Messiah that their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem were now the first time that God declares that he is the Christ he did not declare it in Jerusalem he declares it in a family of outcasts and he says I am the Christ I am the Messiah why is that? Why is it that God would choose that moment, that hour, with a, in a land that was unclean, in a land that had roots in paganism, that land that was outcast, that land that was not accepted to reveal who He was? Because she was a Samaritan, but in His eyes, she was still a daughter of Abraham. In His eyes... Those people were still his children. He wasn't giving up on them just because men were fighting wars of lineage. Just because 
people had a problem with the way others looked like or others talked like or how they acted. He said, I've got a need. Because not only does my children in Jerusalem need what I have, my children in Samaria need what I have. And that land is on the verge of becoming silent. And what I'm bringing to them is I'm going to give them their voice back. Now some of you are holding your amens because you're wondering where we're going. But there's scripture I'm going to read that's going to back everything I'm preaching. When God walked in there, it was to give a voice of worship back to a people that were ostracized and outcasts. He tells the people, he says there's a man that's laying down on the roadside and a bunch of robbers had attacked him and they stole everything that the man had. They took it all from him. And there was a priest that came walking by and a priest looked at the man and walked around him. Typical Jew. Always going around the problem. Always going around somebody that looks different. Always going around somebody that wasn't the same. And then he says there was a Levite that came by, another Jew. And the Levite saw the man that was beaten and half dead laying in the road. And the Levite walked around him. Levites were Jews. He's talking to Jews about Jews. How they should be towards people they think is a non-Jew. And then he says, but then there was this Samaritan. Oh, this is why it's stinging. They would have been fine if he would have named, if he would have named a Philistine, if he had named a Canaanite, if he had named a Perezite, but he named a Samaritan. Jesus is playing dirty. Oh, you're bringing family into this. You're bringing the half-breeds into this. You're bringing the mixed children into this. You're bringing the ones that don't look like us, don't talk like us, don't act like us, don't worship like us in this. And Jesus knew what he was doing the entire time. He was pouring salt on the wound because he was trying to get somebody's attention that there should be no divisions in the body, that there should be no outcasts of brothers and sisters. And he told them, but a Samaritan comes by and the Samaritan sees the man robbed and half dead and the Samaritan is kind and shows love and kindness and picks the man up and takes him to, a, to a, a, an inn and he pays for the man to be fed. He pays for the man to be clothed and then he pays for the man's hotel night. And then he checks back up on him. But it says in that parable that the Samaritan looked and then acted. That Samaritan didn't walk and hear a voice from heaven. That Samaritan wasn't walking and, and heard the man call out. The man just saw a need and he responded to a person in need. Some of us need to respond to a need and we don't always have to have a divine scripture in the Bible telling us to get up and do something. If there's a need among the brethren and sisters, then do something about it. If you wait for us to take up a benevolence offering every time there's a need, it's wrong and imbalanced. Amens are dying off. 
the Lord, you know this one too. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And he tells everybody, he says, nah, we, we got to go through Samaria again. Can you imagine the, the disciples saying, oh, here we go again. Here we go again. Last time he's sitting around with a woman who's a Samaritan that had five husbands and the one she was with wasn't her husband. And he starts, she start, he starts just telling all the oracles of God to her. Here we go again. And it says that Jesus, as he was passing between Samaria and Galilee, he's heading. He enters a village. You know, Jesus wasn't afraid to go around people that had a bad reputation. If you're here and you got a bad reputation, the Lord's not afraid of your reputation. He's not afraid of what you've done. He's not afraid of how big and bad we think we are. He knows, believe it or not, before we even confess our sin, he already knows it. Confessing a sin isn't revealing it to God. It's repenting to God. Sometimes we think we're revealing things to God. No, we're not. We're repenting before him. And as he entered a village, he's met by ten lepers, and they stand at a distance, social distancing. No, it literally was. And he sees these ten, lift, ten lepers, and he lift up his voices. They lift up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master. No, you, you mean Samaria has now heard of Jesus? Of course they heard of Jesus. They heard what he did in Sychar with the woman at the well. His fame was spreading through Samaria. They know him. They say, Jesus, Master, have mercy. Mercy. They're asking a Jew to have mercy on them. That's unheard of. Jesus was flipping society upside down. He was turning it inside out. He was doing things that should have been done the whole time, but it had been buried under the law of Moses and their inerrant thinking, and he was bringing forth how the law is truly fulfilled, and that's with love and mercy and obedience to the Father in heaven. But they say, Jesus, have mercy on us. And when he sees them, he says, go and show yourselves to the priests. And they went and they were cleansed. Then one of them, one, when he saw that he was healed, he turns back and he praises God with a loud voice. And he falls on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And it's not by mistake that this is in there. Now he was a Samaritan. It is in there for context and a point to be made. That the one that was grateful, that the one that was thankful, that the one that had something to rejoice about happened to be the outcast, happened to be the one that didn't fit in, happened to be the one that most people didn't think good about, didn't give much attention to. The one that said, oh Lord, thank you for healing me, was a Samaritan. So I want to fast forward. The Lord now has been crucified. He's now risen from the grave. 
And we're in the book of Acts, first chapter, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? See, they just watched their Messiah get crucified. They've talked with him now that he's risen. They're, they're back to feeling like if their God has conquered death, hell, and the grave, which they witnessed. This man they followed, he just conquered the hell and the grave. He's now before them. He's talking with them. And they want to know what the Scriptures have taught from the beginning, that someday God would restore the nation of Israel. They wanted to know when. They were tired of paying Roman taxes. They were tired of being slaves. They were tired of being second-class citizens in the world. They wanted to know when their day was coming, when their shot would arrive, when their chance would happen by. And they said, Lord, tell us when you're going to restore to Israel. And they were being very inclusive here. The Lord says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons, for the Father has fixed by His own authority. Verse 8, But you will receive power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria. He said, and to the end of the earth, God, they said, when you restoring this to Israel, and he said, it's not just coming to Israel, but it's coming to your brothers and sisters in Samaria too. Those that you've left behind, those that you thought are silenced, are gonna have the same power that I'm filling you because God is no respecter of persons. He said in Judea and all of Samaria, even to the end of the earth, and we're going to jump forward even more because there's a progression that happens. In the 8th chapter of Acts, and Saul approved of his execution, that's talking about Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Now let me lay this down for you. You see, the day of Pentecost happens. All these people are filled. Thousands and thousands and thousands are added to the church. The church is growing. The church is happy. The church is wonderful. The church is being blessed. They can't even stop this thing. It's out of control. Every person they talk to is filled with the Holy Ghost. Everybody they witness to is baptized in Jesus' name. It's just happening because of the power of God. Now these are Israelites. These are full-blooded Jews. But God said, you're going into Samaria. But they weren't moving out of Jerusalem. They weren't moving out of their little holy bubbles. And it says that Saul came down and he began to persecute the church. And you know that he martyred Stephen and he consented to his death. He killed Stephen. He was the first martyr. And then the persecution arose in verse 1. It says, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Imagine this. You wouldn't even walk through Samaria your entire life, and now you're fleeing to it for refuge. 
You would go hundreds of miles out of your way to not have to look at a Samaritan and now you're asking that they take you in. Now you're asking for a little plot of land that you could build a hut and have shelter in because your life is on the line. The people who were not outcasts were, were everything they needed for survival. But the whole point of the persecution was to get the word of God into the surrounding nations. Because there was lands that were being silenced without praise and without worship and without direction. And God said, I'm going to give you a voice, Samaria. Those that you thought you were outcasts, those who you thought you were no good, those that maybe you, did, you didn't fit in. I'm going to bring a voice to you. And they go into Samaria. And one of the people that was left from Jerusalem into who, who fled a refugee, this refugee's name is Philip. And Philip goes into Samaria. And it says, now those who were scattered, they began to preach the word. And Philip went down into the city of Samaria. And he began to proclaim them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, began to pay attention. If we'd have everybody pay attention in one mind, one accord, what would God do? There's probably people already thinking when I'll shut up and when you can get to a restaurant. But if we would begin to think, when is God going to heal? I'm ready. When is God going to deliver? I'm ready. When is God going to give me my voice back? I'm ready to shout. I'm ready to yell. I'm ready to tell the world about what God did for me. He would do it. Philip goes down and says the crowds paid attention. And when they heard him and they saw the signs that he did, it says unclean spirits came out crying in a loud voice. And they came out, many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed so that there was much joy in the city. Well, the disciples, remember, they remained in, in, down in Jerusalem. Remember that? These holy rollers all of a sudden begin to hear that the word of God is being delivered in Samaria. They should have known it. He said, I'm going to give you power of the Holy Ghost and you're going to go witness in all of Judea, Samaria. And the word of God's coming true. And Peter and John hear about it. And they're like, you mean the Holy Ghost it can happen? You mean that they're coming to God? They're receiving God? Well, we've got to go into Samaria. What? is happening. Jews who freely are getting up and want to go into Samaria? And when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. And when they came down, they began to pray for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. The work that Philip did was baptize them and heal them and watch all the miracles take place. But the Holy Ghost wasn't poured out. If you wonder why, he says some water or some plant, some water and God gives the increase, right? But it was more than that. 
You see, the patriarchs of the gospel were the apostles. And the apostles sitting down in Jerusalem needed to see with their own eyes that God is no respecter of persons and that God would use the top first to minister to those that needed it the most. He said, Peter and John, Peter, who you are the rock of Christ, and through you came the first apostolic message, and John the beloved, those who leans on Jesus, you too will go into Samaria and you will deliver my name. Verse 17 of Acts 8. Then they laid hands, that is Peter and John. When Peter and John laid hands on them, it says they received the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, there was a bunch of Samaritans that got a voice. They all of a sudden got the voice of the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. These people that were afraid to talk about God around Jews were now speaking in tongues, welcoming brothers and sisters. They were now flaunting everything that they had, all the blessings in the Holy Ghost. They were now dancing in the streets of that city. Samaria was having an end time revival right there. In one more verse before we bring this round home. In the next chapter over in Acts 9, 31. It says, so the church, so the church, everybody say the church. That's all of them. The church throughout all Judea and Galilee. And now what was in between Galilee and Judea? Samaria. Now, all of a sudden, it says the church is Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. One. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And they walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and it multiplied. This church will begin to multiply when every single member of it is not afraid to walk through Samaria and begin to tell people that need to know the Lord all about their testimony and how Jesus Christ is the Savior of this world. Listen, you can't keep walking past people in the grocery store without telling them about God. You can't keep avoiding people at work and not tell them about what God did for you. I think half of you are with me. The other half's drifted somewhere. I'm telling you the amen should have been louder and I'm pressing and I'm pushing because we're in a day and age where each and every one of us has this responsibility. We've been driving around Samaria far too long. Some of you got co-workers and you, they know you're an apostolic and you've been working with them for years and you've never asked them for a Bible study. It's time to wake up. 
It is time to talk to the Samaritan. Yeah, I got real quiet. Because everybody just come under conviction. Including me. There are brothers and sisters right now that are living outside these walls in Samaria and they're looking for a church to go get them. We sit around and wonder why a pandemic? Why the year ago? Because God is trying to tell us to get up and get outside these walls and start telling people about what God's doing. Well, we're not having the choir like we used to. We don't need a choir. You've got voices. Lift them and don't be the land of silence. Begin to tell people. And if you're wondering if I'm doing it, I'm doing it. I've got Bible study. Just gave one. Got more set up. I'm doing. I'm practicing what I'm preaching. I'm telling you in the workplace. I'm telling you, I love this place. But this place can be a prison sometimes. And we'll confine our testimony and lock it up. I feel the hand of the Lord. He's not displeased with us. Please don't think that. He's not mad at us. But he's not afraid to send persecution into his little holy huddles. That church at Jerusalem was a holy huddle. They liked their numbers. They liked their traditions. They liked the way they did things. And God said, but I don't want just Jerusalem. I want the whole world. And he doesn't just want more life tabernacle. But he wants Flint. He wants Fenton. He wants Davison. He wants, he wants all the surrounding societies and cities. We got a lot of people in here that work at Grand Lake schools, but I'd like to see a lot more members that maybe work at Davison schools or work in the Flint school system. I want to see more people. We live in a land that they are trying to silence the Christian voice right now. If you have any sense of what our day and age is, if you've looked online at all, if you've paid attention to anything, you should know that the voice of religious freedom is trying to be silenced. And at the same time, your pastor is preaching, maybe with a little bit too loud a voice, maybe with too much zeal, but I got gout and I'm standing, so get over it. You don't even know I'm standing on one foot. I got all my pressure off my left. You know what that's going to do? It's going to throw out my hip now. Pray for my family. I'm going to be a grouch later. But God gave me the spirit to overcome if you were in Sunday school. What I'm saying, more life tabernacle, is God has looked at this place and he has seen a lot of capable, strong, and he has seen... A, a group of people that is more than conquerors. But what God has got going on, if we're sitting in our house in fear, we're sitting in our house afraid if we're going to be the next victim on the corona list, we're living wrong. I'm not saying act foolishly, but I am saying live in faith. And if you got to talk to somebody about Jesus with a mask on, then you talk to them with a mask on, but you say the name of Jesus to them.
I want everybody to do some serious praying. I think in the next few months, in the next couple weeks, in the next couple days, that every single saint of God, every single saint of God needs to go into your workplace, into your schools, wherever you're at. And you need to start asking people if they want to talk about Jesus Christ. Thanks, babe. You got real quiet. I tell you what. This week, I know two people I want to ask to a Bible study in my work. And I'm going to ask them, will you do better than me? That's right, I'm challenging you all. Will you do better than me? Will you beat me? You say, you shouldn't be doing this. Oh, yeah. Come on. Well, I don't work. Wait, do, you, do you go outside your house? No? Okay, well, your mailman's one. Your Amazon guy's two. <laughs> FedEx is three. That's three right there. That's one better than pastor. What, do you live without neighbors? Yeah, I got neighbors. Okay, so four, five, six, seven, eight. Folks, it's time. It's time. You look, everybody's in agreement. We know this thing's wrapping up, right? We know that everything's falling apart in this world. Do you think how, Bishop, your generation has pounded into my brain, end-time revival, end-time revival. There's no end-time revival if everybody's sitting in quarantine. Who are we talking about, Trump? Who are we talking about, Whitmer? Who are we talking about, Pelosi? We need to get outside and start talking about Jesus. Start talking about Jesus. If you've made a neighbor in your, in, your, in your community, in your neighborhood, if a friend out of a neighbor, you need to start inviting them. Well, I have. Invite them again. Invite them again. What you've got is a testimony that could save a soul. They could hear about what God did for you, and they could begin to seek Him. I'm telling you, God is trying to get us to not be the land of silence, but to become a land that is with a voice lifted up, saying, I know God. I know the God. His name is Jesus. You're sick. I'd like to pray for you. Is that all right? Well, I, I, I don't want to get COVID. That's okay. I don't need to lay hands on you. All I need to do is stand six feet apart, social distance, and I'll speak it. I'll tell you why. Because the Bible says that the centurion went up to the Lord and he said, hey, I'm a man of authority. You don't need to come. You just speak it and it'll happen. Or maybe they're not afraid of you and they say, please pray for me. Then you take your hand, you lay it on their head, wherever's appropriate, and you pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Whatever they need, they need a healing, I pray a healing touch. God, when that healing touch is complete, listen to me. When that healing touch is complete, I pray that the revelation of who you are and how to be saved and what you want and what you're going to do would flood into them. 
We are called to be a land of voice, not silence. This world's trying to get us to be quiet. And there's never been a, more, a better time than right now to start telling people. They can't run from you. They're in quarantine. You got them. You got them. You say, well, I'm a boss at work. I can't. It, it would be inappropriate to invite. The, the, the two people I said are subordinates to me, and I'm going to ask them. I hold a title of importance, and I'm willing to put it on the line. Not inappropriately, but to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got many people in this church that have been very successful in the world. Use it for the kingdom. For the Matt, I heard that you invited your boss on the 9th. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Brother Greg, I want to see Jonathan here. He's ready. But Larry, I want to see Jonathan here. If he's good enough to ride quads with us, he's good enough for a Bible study. It's time. I told John yesterday, I said, it's time. It's time. Everybody say, it's time. To not be silent. The musicians would come. It's time to not be silent anymore. That my foot can't take much more. You know how you know when the anointing's leaving, you start feeling it. I am so proud of this church. But it's not my job just to only be proud, but sometimes to push. And pastor's in push mode right now because we must go. We must go forth in the gospel. We must go forth with our testimony. I don't, care, I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young or how old. It is not outside our obligation and duty and responsibility. It is our job to tell this world about God. And if they turn you down a hundred more, find a hundred and one. Find the one. If you'd all stand. I love you so much. And I felt that somebody, somebody here that I said earlier that you, you're broken. And this message has got many aspects to it. But God said he'd double back for you. And that's what I'm doing right now. We're doubling back for you. That that need that you walked in this house with is trying to silence your voice of joy. The situation you're in is trying to silence the voice of hope. The thing you're facing, the thing you're fighting, the giant, is trying to silence your Holy Ghost. The Lord told Peter, he said, I prayed for you. And I'm not the Lord. And I'm not even close to him, being like him. But I want you to know that your pastor's praying for you in the name of Jesus. 
that the voice that hell is trying to silence would find its vocal cords. That that voice of praise and that voice of faith would find its volume. It would begin to leave your lips and begin to utter towards heaven, God, you're worth it. God, you're in control. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus. Lord, you know every soul that's in this house. You know everyone that's watching this online. You know everybody that's listening to the podcast. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, whenever it is, wherever they're at, whether it's right now or in the future, God, that the inner voice would find its vocal cords. That the Holy Ghost in them would begin to cry out to you, Lord. And God, if there's a person here that doesn't yet know you, God, I know that you are reaching into their land and you are trying to fill them with the voice from the heaven, the throne, the voice of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Oh, come on, begin to pray all over this place. Lord, strengthen your people this week. You know that I challenged them to lift their voice in the workplace. You know I challenged them to lift their voice in school, in the grocery stores. Lord, I feel that that challenge wasn't from me, but from you. God, I pray that you would set words in their mouth that would speak to the people they're going to. I pray you'd order their steps, you would anoint their path, God.